in regards to the happiness that we want. When we were young, we were studying or working, we wanted happiness. But a wise person with deep wisdom said that wanting happiness is good, but it isn't the best, the ultimate. By not wanting, then one has happiness. So this is the language of the Dhamma. But when we hear this, we probably won't understand it, especially in the beginning. So what is it like? We want happiness, but they say for us to not want that happiness. So what should we do? So we are conflicted, because this saying is the highest type of saying. By not wanting anything at all, one will meet with true happiness, that is Nibbāna. Like in Dhamma practice, we all want to have samādhi, meditative concentration, and we know that if we have wisdom, if we see clearly into the truth, then we won't suffer. Like the Buddha, the Arahants, fully enlightened beings, the Sawaka Sangha, the noble disciples of the Sammasambuddha, the perfectly self-awakened Buddha. And though a Sotapanna stream-enterer has suffering, but it has lessened. They've closed off the lower realms already. And we want to have wisdom like this as well. Like a child who wants to finish their studies and become a doctor and have knowledge and skills, who has mastered the various sciences. This is their goal. We think that we study, gain knowledge, work, have children, grandchildren, have a family already, and ultimately will have happiness at the last stages of our lives. But sometimes at the last stages of life, it's opposite to that. Because we've used up our body in order to learn and do work in various ways, which has used up the body a lot using up the body and it's tired and exhausted. We have children and grandchildren, but in the end, what is left is what we have here. And sometimes, sati, mindfulness, isn't with ourselves. It's mindfulness that has gone outside of the body and mind, and it's dangerous. When that mindfulness goes outside of the body and mind, it will go deeper into the whole. It will become more troubled and more anxious. We are not ourself. We can't make decisions. And some diseases and illnesses arise. It may be anxiety and worries. There is an illness of not wanting to live in this world, or an illness of blaming oneself that we know good. Or the past experiences are remembered and clung onto in the heart. And in the present, it comes back up. It is a state of the mind having no strength. The mind is not well established, and clear mindfulness is not brought up in front. And the mindfulness that is too weak goes running with all the moods and mental objects. It runs with past experiences, and there is despair to live on. And this is dangerous. It is troubled and unstable. Even though we may know this, but the strength of the mind and mindfulness is not there. And then the children and relatives have to look after them so as to make the elderly feel warm because they feel like they lack warmth. Like there was this one disciple of mine who I asked how they felt when their children had succeeded in their studies and all the things in the world. They said, right now 
I don't feel at ease. I don't really want to live on anymore. But now my child has more love for me. Before that, I felt that my child's love for me was too little. It wasn't enough. But in reality, it's not less or more. It's just a feeling. When the child is older and they have their own children and they have more duties and responsibilities, then they have less of a chance to look after the parents. This is normal and natural. And so the elderly, those of old age, need to prepare for it. Get ready for it. But it's not only starting to prepare ourselves when we're 60 years old. This may not be enough time. Though for one who has barami, spiritual accumulations, it may be enough. But for us, we have to prepare ourselves. That the external work is one part, but the internal work, the work of the heart, is the important work. Because happiness and suffering is in the heart. And it's not that when we have a lot of things in the world, then we'll have true happiness. It's not like that. If that was true happiness, then the Buddha wouldn't have gone in search for the Dhamma. Before the Buddha renounced, he saw that the happiness he had was full, but it wasn't lasting or permanent. Why do we have to part with loved ones and loved things as well? The Buddha thought like this, and so he had to find the happiness that was permanent and lasting, that was not changing. This is the happiness that is called Niramisa Sukha, which is happiness that is not related to all the worldly conditions. The worldly conditions are all the wealth, loss of wealth, fame, loss of fame, praise, blame, happiness and suffering. They are pairs. When we are all born into this world, we will have to meet with these conditions. It is something that is paired with this world. And the more we live in the world, the more we have to contemplate and bawana, cultivate our minds a lot. If we want to have happiness, then we'll keep running and we'll never stop. We get that happiness, but the happiness arises, stays for a while, and then passes away. Then we have to keep struggling onwards like this. The Buddha had cut off the lay household life. To study, to learn, to find wealth is hard and difficult. Some people succeed and get it, but some people don't get it like they want. And if they don't get it, then they'll suffer. And the ones who get it, they have to maintain that wealth. There is worry, anxiety and fear. If someone cheats them of their wealth, one million or two million, maybe they end up not wanting to live in the world anymore. There are many who then depart from the world. So we can see this is someone who has wealth already. But if they didn't have that wealth, they may not suffer like that. It is because of having and then being cheated of it. The wealth is lost and then suffering arises. So having wealth doesn't mean that suffering ends. Getting it stolen, burnt, flooded away, and there's nothing left. And we can't make our heart to accept it. Or sometimes the wealth that we have got, we give to our children while we are still alive. And the children loses a lot of that wealth 
and we sorrow, suffer and despair. So we can see that having found wealth already doesn't mean that we'll always have happiness because the wealth has no power to give us happiness like that. Wealth, rank and praise are like this. So the Buddha taught us to have a lot of mindfulness established in front of us, have happiness arise from what we have built ourselves. When we have this type of happiness and the mind and body is light, then we'll be able to compare it with the happiness that we have experienced in the past. And we have never experienced this before, which is the happiness that comes from the peaceful mind. It is a lot of happiness, more than what we've experienced in the past. And then we'll be more diligent, have effort, and try to find this type of happiness. We will give time where we will try to have mindfulness in front of us, so that happiness like this comes up. This is a happiness that no one can take away from us. But we need to train, instruct and develop ourselves. We have to do it, and in the time that we're not sick and in pain. If we're sick, over 90 years old already, then it'll be difficult. Or some people are 80 years old and they have a serious illness, and then it will be difficult to practice Dhamma. So when we have wealth and our body is good and healthy, we can still stand, walk, sit and lie down comfortably, then we shouldn't be careless. We can gather together on one day a week, like on this Friday, and we have a chance to do puja, chant and meditate. Online, we listen to Dhamma and discuss Dhamma. If our Bharami has been built sufficiently, then we may be able to understand the Dhamma. We can see that all things are emptiness. Is this possible? Since birth, we see that we have my body, my parents, my teachers, my friends. There's always just me and mine. But when we understand the Dhamma, that there's no me, how is that possible? because nature is like that, and so we're able to see it, with wisdom and with insight. But to have that seeing arise, we need to be supported by samadhi, supported by sila, moral precepts, and supported by the merit and dana, giving, that we have done. It is supported by seeing the blame of sense objects that make us in a mess, and at the time that we are experiencing it, if we have wisdom, then we may see it clearly at the time that we are suffering. There was a time when Venerable Ajahn Chah went to spread the teachings of the Sama Sambuddha to Europe and England for the first time. And there was someone who said that in England, the people here were just delighted in all the forms, sounds, tastes, odors, tactile sensations and mind objects. They were delighted in all that and weren't really interested in Dhamma. Their minds were still so dark. That's what they said. But that was a thought of a common person or a good person who had good intentions. They were worried that Ajahn Chah would tire himself out for no reason. To teach the people there would be tiring. It would be difficult and troublesome and wouldn't result in anything. And Ajahn Chah said in a way 
to bring up wisdom that, in that darkness, if we have a bright light to shine on it, then you'll see even more clearly. Oh, it's the other way around. Someone without wisdom who themselves has no light, then they think that to take a light to shine on someone who is in darkness wouldn't be possible. And they thought that Ajahn Chah was like them as well. That's a wrong thought. He didn't know that Ajahn Chah had the bright light of being an awakened one, a fully noble disciple with full inner strength. And Ajahn Chah didn't go by himself. He went along with the Barami of the Summer Sambuddha. Wherever he went, he didn't get deluded. There was the Buddha always following alongside him. Whenever the eye saw a form, the ear heard a sound, the nose smelt an odour, the tongue tasted a flavour, the body felt sensations, the mind experienced mind objects. Ajahn Chah didn't get deluded or lost in the external development. And we have to remember that 50 years ago, people had dreams to go to England, Europe and America, and it was hard to go as well. When Ajahn Chah went, he said, give them wisdom, give them brightness, and then people will be able to see Dhamma easily. And it was the starting point. So we can see the Dhamma that arises in the mind is bright. The wisdom that arises in the mind is bright. It's more than the brightness of many hundreds of suns. Hundreds of suns aren't able to make the mind bright. So we need to search for the Dhamma. When we have a chance to learn Dhamma, then we need to make an effort and be diligent in order to have Dhamma arise, to have the brightness arise. So then our minds won't be in a mess. It won't suffer. We have to make sure to find our hearts. Don't let our hearts go outside, outside of the body and mind. The heart is with this body, with this mind as much as we can. It is a path to have wisdom arise. May we practice it. And ultimately, we will meet with true happiness, and it arises within us. May you develop and train yourselves in this. May you grow in blessings. <laughs>